You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you guys have been having a great week. I most certainly have been. It's Friday, people. We did it. We got through another week. December of 2020 is right around the corner. Uh, it's an unbelievable thought that uh, we are, we're almost through this this very, very complicated year. And I'm excited to see what 2021 has in store for the whole world. I'm super stoked to present this week's Vox and Hops Unsigned Gem. Today I will be featuring a band called The History of Flying Objects. Pavlo, the vocalist guitarist of this band, and I played in a band together for many, many years called The Era Of. And this is his new project. And I'm very, very stoked to share this track with you right now. Get ready, people. This is Dark Tides on today's Vox and Hops Unsigned Gym.
love it. I love how much Pavlo has progressed with his vocals. When I was in the era of with him, uh, he was always very, very shy about his vocals. But look where he is now. I, I am super stoked and proud of him. If you enjoyed this track from the History of Flying Objects, please go and check out and support them via the links which I have provided in the description of this podcast. On today's Vox and Hops episode, I am with Philippe Alexandre Gendron of McCausland Brewing. Get ready, people. This is Vox and Hops episode number 207. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Philippe Alexandre Gendron of McCausland Brewing Company, and it is a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you, Some people might say, this looks familiar. Matt, have you done this before? Uh, we have had a conversation before, but it wasn't for a Vox and Hops episode. It was for Le Mondial de la Bière's roundtable discussion, which just came out recently. And uh, I had such a good time with you there that I wanted to go deeper and to uh, chat with you because it turns out you are a metal brewer. So uh, simple, simple conversation, which is very complex, which I kick that roundtable off with. I'm going to kick it in your way again is uh, how have you been coping with 2020? Uh, not gonna lie, 23 has been rough. Um, luckily enough, we've also had quite a few really good beers coming around, so <laughs> that's been helping a lot. Um, otherwise, uh, I would say I haven't been coping with all of that. Um, I, I tend to bury myself in work, that's an, that's something, but <laughs> uh, being uh, a head brewer for a fairly big brewery, there's something, there's always something to do, there's always more stuff that needs to more projects that we need to work on. Uh, so that's something that's been, uh, even though 2020 has been rough and has been hitting us pretty hard as, as an industry as a, as a whole, um, we've had a lot of projects, a lot of new things work to, to work out and things to, okay, hey, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And then eventually we just, wait, how, how many hours have I been here today? Okay. <laughs> time to go home for a little bit. Crazy. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, 2020 has been, uh bit of a roller coaster so far to say the least and uh some, some good things are coming out of, of that too i mean we're here tonight so absolutely and uh i'm just curious coming from having spoken to some other brewers out there now you guys are a, a monster brewery in comparison to a lot of the the smaller brew pubs that are out there which need that walk-in clientele to survive so so some of the bit of a different thing with mccausland brewing company is that uh you guys are a giant that already has a crazy distribution and that is already a big part of your, of your business I'm sorry, what was your question? That I'm a little <laughs> <laughs> I that a little bit. But if you, um, if I, if I can go on to that a, a little bit, actually, um, yes. And luckily enough uh, for us, uh, being uh, huge, well, compared compared to a lot of smaller players, uh, we've been able to keep us keep ourselves afloat um, because we produce in bottles and cans and kegs. Well, kegs, not really right now because all the restaurants are closed. Okay. Um, but being in part of that um, second wave red zone thing. Um, but even the, at the beginning, beginning of March when all of that happened, we had to stop our kegging line essentially. And that's, even though we're a big player, this is also a big part of our business. Um, not only for all the, the bars and restaurants that serve our products, but we also have uh, the Bupa, well, the Lennox saint which is located on the, right, on the side of our brewery. And also the terrace. So this is, as uh, we had discussed a little bit when I was talking about the Mondial, this is like we, we're not only using a lot and keeping ourselves afloat, but we also have contact with the clients 
in uh, by ourselves by the product by the uh, on our on site as well a little bit well if you can say that <laughs> um and it's a big part of our business because this is something that we've been known for it's the direct contact with the people like often enough like i'll be out there on the grass or at the pub and like i'll be there and talking to clients this is something i do on a regular basis so the whole um being a bigger brewery sure we are and we've been able to probably keep ourselves afloat and navigate through 2020 a bit better or a bit easier than others but even uh, even there this is this, this whole situation is still impacting us quite a bit and i think we had touched that bet a little bit too last time when uh, it is whether we want it or not people being stuck at home they they don't necessarily like surprisingly enough they, our beer sales have not been going down uh but there's still a little bit of uh not only say they haven't gone down they've slowed a little bit um and Whereas our bigger clients, for instance, at the Dippinera, the grocery stores, they're, they're still ordering out, but there's a lot of things that, like, uh, say for a lot of restaurants, they're not going to get kegs, they're also getting bottles, and that those were bottles that were not coming back for a while. So we've been having uh, sort of all sorts of issues and all sorts of uh, puzzles with that, but um, overall, yeah, um, I guess I could say that we've gone a, a little bit easier than some, other, uh, some of the other smaller players, but then again, and it's true. I hadn't yeah, yeah. hadn't thought about the massive amount of kegs that you guys are normally brewing, and filling and sending out to to you know restaurants, bars across the province. Let alone just oh, here and in, in Ontario as well. We do export to uh, to Ontario. As awesome. Well. This is all stuff that well for now it's it's not happening. So. Now, now I have a love affair with with McCausland Brewing Company because uh, I've spoken on a podcast a few times. I don't believe I told you that night at Le Mondial's roundtable discussion was that uh, McCausland was the first craft beer that I really got into. And it uh, stems down to when I moved out, I left two mountains. I came to Montreal with my wife, uh, then girlfriend, now wife. And uh, <laughs> I would go to the grocery store and, you know, looking at, you know, best quality for, for price and coming home with a product that she wouldn't get too upset of me coming home with beer <laughs> yet again. You know, I was, a, I was a, a child that used to drink, you know, Molson Canadian, Molson Export mostly. And then I discovered this mix pack with, with Griffon and uh, the Pale Ale from St. Ambroise. And, of course, the, 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 the little lucky magic diamond that would let me bring that 12-pack into the house a few times a week was the <laughs> apricot ale. Yeah. Because that was for her. <laughs> and she liked it. <laughs> so so uh. from there, it really it stemmed from there. And then in that mix pack, there was that Pale Ale, which was probably one of the first hop-forward beers that I ever enjoyed. And I, got, I really got addicted to that that. that at the time, I thought it was a soapy taste, but it's, 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 I know that it's just hops at this point. And to the point where yeah. I got, I became a craft beer enthusiast. And when it was time for me to buy the beer for my wedding, because we had a room like that where we could bring all the alcohol, I bought a bunch of cases of the Santa Walls Pale Ale. So, so that's, that's why I'm yeah, very excited to have a chat with you. That's super cool, actually. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't know that. I, I mean, you had diluted a bit of being, uh, a long-term client, but I hadn't figured out, <laughs> hadn't understood that that way. That's, uh, that's really, really nice. Absolutely. And it continues uh, with, with Cryptopsy. Uh, my guitarist, Chris Donaldson, had his wedding reception at Lenex. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And uh, <laughs> we hung out there. It was uh, in February. And you guys had the your Russian Imperial Stout on tap yes. that night. It was yes. completely dangerous was that, and amazing. Was that last year? 
No, it was two okay. or three years ago, probably even longer. Okay, okay, okay. Years have disappeared in my life. <laughs> but we were drinking Russian Imperial Stouts all night. That is oh, where, wow. as you were saying that, that you can come out and have a chat with the clientele. That's where I tasted your, your session for the first time. So so it's very interesting to go to to either the Lanex or or the Terrace, and it's always been a very, very, it's a huge part of Montreal, so, so I'm very excited to be with you. Uh, take me to your first beer, Fidibatic Zone. Do you remember the first beer you ever drank? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I mean, if I had to say the first first beer I ever tasted was probably some sort of, uh, I would say, a wildcat from like decades ago. Um, I didn't really like that. Let's just put it that way. I think it was my father and my grandfather. It was just like, hey, uh, you're a man now, so have a beer. Like, What's this? Oh, man, that's not good. What's going on with that? Um, but um, after that, I would say when I really started drinking, like getting into the craft beer industry, I, I got in through um, it's kind of everyone's gateway beer is uh, a lot of the new brew products. Um, I think Moen French and so I moved it, which was I would say probably one of the beers that in, uh, well, those two are probably two of the beers that I've had the most as, before I started, uh, working as a brewer myself. Uh, those were sort of the, uh, my gateway into the, uh, the world of beer, of beer. I was like, Hey, this, this is, this is pretty good. The beer is actually fantastic. It's not all Molson and, you know, Budweiser that doesn't, I don't want to start throwing whole rocks to the bigger guys, but <laughs> it's beer that tastes beer, and you're sure that when you crack one, it's going to taste like beer. You, you know what to expect. But in terms of taste, in terms of all the stuff that's out there, in terms of flavors, they're not the top side. They're, they're not on the on the the top side of everything. Uh, just you know, the, the, the plant here. <laughs> I am crab brewer, so I will. Uh, no, no, I, I tend to you know defend my uh, my side of the uh, of the, the the industry a little bit. Um. And on that note, that's my, my, what's like got me started into, uh, down the path of the craft beer industry and getting into really liking beers. Um, and then I started being the guy in my group of friends at that time. It was just like, Hey, I, I bought this beer at the grocery store. What, how about we taste it and see what's going on with that? Uh, discovered a bunch of different things from, uh, unrapid succession from all the McCausland product, all the Boreal product, all the, uh, the other smaller guys that were coming out at that time with his job, uh, and all these, other uh, these fine folks, um, which eventually led me to not only that, but starting from that strange moment that started everything, I ended up starting homebrewing because, well, beer was pretty expensive to buy. And when you, you as a science student in university, you're like, Hey, what can I do to cut corners and then be a little bit cheaper here? Uh, so I started making my own stuff, which, wasn't really good at the beginning. I got better at it. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, eventually, uh, one night it was actually, I think I, I told that story in the, in our Montreal, uh, interview as well, but, uh, for the people that were not there at that time, I'm going to repeat it a little bit. Um, it was one night that I'd gotten back home after a very long day at university. I think I was there for like 16 or 17 hours doing mass spectrometry. Nothing was working. I just, you know what? I need I need to kick back, relax. I used to live on top of a small dinner on the corner of uh, Belanger and Cassandron at that time. I grabbed a pack of, of Saint Ambroise mix pack, that which was a funkier mix pack that they had for a while, uh, which had I think, if I recall correctly, the double IPA, Scotch ale, and a bunch of other things in there. It was like a holiday special pack. And I go home, and I'm back to my first double IPA ever. This is pretty good. 
I didn't really take a look in much into it at what was in there. It turns out it was an 8% beer and I had enough like two or three back to back. So, <laughs> and at the end of that night, that's actually when I started homebrewing myself because I was sitting there drinking those. I was like, this is fantastic. And you know, you know what, guys? I think this is what I want to do in life. So I decided that I was going to become a brewer. So overnight, taught myself how to brew, got uh, a couple of my friends involved to pitch in some money so we can buy brewing equipment and then uh, got the whole venture started. Um, fast forward a couple of years after that, um, we ended up, uh, well, I ended up uh, graduating from a biochemistry degree, which, you know, <laughs> I did it. Um, <laughs> but what I really wanted to do was to work in the brewing industry, which then needs to land a job as a brewer for uh, Bugatti, uh, which I did for five years. And then uh, when the opportunity for a leadership position presented itself with McAuson, onwards I went. And that's by where I've been for the past few years. I think I answered a look at that question in quite a bit of length there. <laughs> that's perfect. You answered my next question as well, which is good. Uh, but but that's a beautiful path, you know, going from, yeah. from picking up that mix pack and, and reaching in and picking up an 8% double IPA, <laughs> enjoying a few of them, and then having a good idea. You know, the yeah. inspiration <laughs> comes when, when, when you're inebriated sometimes. And, and look at your life path. And then you ended up landing a job with a, a giant of Boreal, and now moving on to McCausland. It's amazing. Speaking of McCausland, Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and brewer friends and talking about their lives, talking about some music and talking about craft beer, of course. What what beer do we have here? Philip Alexander, uh, present this to everyone, please. our double New England APA. Um, we've, uh, it's out in the, in the grocery stores and different areas and uh, wherever you'd buy, you'd find your good craft beer. Um, it's a twist on our regular New England IPA. Uh, obviously, it's a double, so it's quite a bit more uh, alcoholic. But it's mostly also, we use slightly different hops in this one. Instead of the more classical uh, mosaic, citra, and galaxy combo that we have in our uh, original NEPA, this one has, um, if I recall correctly, which I do, um, Azaka, Citra, Eldorado, and also... Um, Last year, we used a hop from uh, uh, a brewer in France called uh, that they called Barbe Rouge, which was a lot fruity, a lot a lot of fruitiness to it, uh, mango a little bit. This year, we had we had a bit of a luck in landing a, a significant amount of Sabro, which is Ooh. sort of the 2019 craze hop yes. for everyone, uh, which was what we put in there. So it's gonna go into uh, flavors closer to pineapple, coconut, uh, vanilla a little bit. We got a little bit of a sort of and that's coming from the sorrow that has that little thing of oak agey thing that's in the back of like, what's going on with this but it's uh it's definitely a beer that keeps on giving and it's really really good so while well, you're you're a little bit ahead of me there <laughs> that's okay i'll talk about it it, it looks uh, delicious it uh, has a nice haze to it it clocks into that sneaky 8.6 percent uh, so we get <laughs> everyone that's enjoying it when they enjoy one themselves be careful yeah. cheers super clean a little boozy, surprisingly bite. smooth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very good. He has those tropical fruits, uh, and I, I love me some 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 sabro. It's it's basically the the coriander of hops. Either people love it or they hate it. That's true. That's true. Other people <laughs> with their like, it tastes like soap. That's yeah, <laughs> true. But I, but I love it. I, lo- I love Sabro. And this is this is great. Uh, very very cool. T- let's talk about brewing for a a huge brewery because yeah, it's different than than being you know a a small brew pub where you can be you you have less uh, like nostalgia to live up to less uh, less history to live up to it's basically like you've stepped in 
and you've replaced a long-standing vocalist in a metal band, let's say, and you got to <laughs> go up there every night and and play the hits, but you got to play them properly. So when people go yeah. and pick up their their oatmeal stout from Saint Albois, which is a classic brew here in Montreal yeah, exactly. and around the rest of the province and in Ontario, now you're saying uh, mm-hmm. you have to do it right and you have to do it justice. So so tell me about that. How you deal with the pressure of of keeping the beers consistent to the previous recipes. Um, luckily enough, um, I'm not the master brewer for, uh, for Mikasa. We still have David Brophy that's been there for 30 years at this point. Very cool. He used to be the head, the brewer, then the head brewer, and then he became the master brewer for that brewery. So that's my boss. And for a lot, for the most part, my mentor as well. Um, I look up to him for a lot of things. And there's one thing that he always, always said. It's you're only as good as your last brew. So. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you need to do, but you got to make that beer. You got to make it perfect. You don't get, you don't get a pass. So, um, it's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Obviously, as you said, it's a lot of, uh, doing the right thing and having the right mindset. Now, being a bigger brewer, we also have a lot of quality control. We have a lot of things that we know in terms of data, in terms of uh, looking at lab results or has different points in the process to know exactly where we're going or do we need to correct this parameter? Do we need to fix that? How are we going to do this? So this is sort of how I deal with it is in the sense that I, I take all the information that I have and I make the best decisions that I can. And I have the chance of being working next door to a guy that's been brewing that beer for 30 years. So he knows most inside and out what's going on there. <laughs> um, but that being said, I often have to take decisions and those are uh, done in the optics of keeping the product safe, keeping everything as it needs to be because people have been, as I said, people have been drinking that beer for 30 years. They're expecting it to be exactly what they've been having for the last three years. So, and at the end of the day, it very much is a team effort. Um, as the head brewer, I'm not the one per se making the beer. It's going to be the brewer. It's going to be the filter operators, all the guys that are working in my team to make that beer. At any point in time, if someone makes a mistake, then it could impact the product. So my job is mostly to make sure that the guys are doing the right job and they know that very well and they're very dedicated. And I'm glad that I have the team that I have because they're fantastic. Wow, that's monstrous, monstrous, huge, huge brewery. I love it. I love it. How how do you feel that you guys get to stay creative in in this this aspect? It's sort of like as a musician, we have like a a certain parameter that we need to stay within when we are writing a new record to respect our previous records and our previous fans appreciation of those records Uh, you guys have to stay within certain boundaries of uh, the styles of beer that you guys have been making do you ever feel that you you how do you guys dabble in creativity the craft beer in the industry revolves revolves very often around um I don't want to say fads, but it's a little bit like that. Like there's going to be that one hip thing that everybody's doing. And if you don't do it, then you're going to miss out. So it's kind of orienting itself towards what, okay, well, what, what are the, the, um, the hop heads saying, or what are the, uh, the, 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 the beer nerds being all hyped about, which on top of was one of those things. Um, and then we take a good look at what's going on and then we make a beer that's going to be our take on that style. Uh, very often we're going to have that, that talk of, well, this is what we'd like to brew, but we're going to make it our way. So we're going to have our sign, our signature for it. Um, for instance, our NEPA for the, the first few brews, the, the beers that we've done of that beer, we tried to use in the Cosmic East, which is the same yeast that we've been using for 30 years. Didn't work out too well. <laughs> we tried. We then we were reverted to using different, uh, different approach, a different yeast, other things that we 
we've reworked the recipe a few times with the main optic being that we had quality up at the at the forefront of it because we wanted to be able to brew that beer and we wanted to be able to brew it right every single time that we were making it. Um, which is for anybody that's been brewing nepas out there, they know it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> so because they're very, they're really very much monsters on their own right, and they tend they tend to do a lot of things that you wouldn't wouldn't expect in the first place. Uh, in terms of creativity, very often too, we're um, lucky to work with a lot of really really good quality ingredients. And if you take just the time to look at the number of hops that have come out in the last year, uh, last year I had the chance of going to visit uh, John I. Haas, which is one of the uh, bigger hop producers out there, and they like they buttered us up for a week with all the new hops that were coming up, all the new things that are trying. It's I don't want to say that it's a little bit easier than it used to be to design and stay creative in this industry, but it's we're given so much. Uh, potential and there's so much new ingredients that are coming out all the time that you have the chance to just experiment something and try it and then all of a sudden it works and it makes a fantastically good beer so <laughs> that's really cool so it's almost like you're a painter and every year there's new colors for you to use yeah basically very 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 interesting um i want to talk about some of the brews that i believe that are the strongest brews that i consistently still buy from uh mccoslin are the russian imperial stout yeah. I, I buy I buy a case every year because because I love it. It comes <laughs> <That's> in the, <laughs> it comes in these tubes. It's super yep. cool, and uh, it comes with glassware. It's it's, it's it, I, I I buy I have way too many Saint Norwell's glasses, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about that beer and uh, what it means to, for the brewery and for yourself. Um, so this is actually the the Russian Imperial Stout is the beer that I wanted to to have you and I drink tonight. Uh, unfortunately. As you mentioned, it, the the tube that it could that each bottle comes in, uh, we've had a bit of an issue with our suppliers for that one. Uh, they've had problems on their production line, so we ended up having delays, and we wouldn't be able to package them in time. They're actually going to be put in those tubes tomorrow, just so that we had to talk tonight. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, um, but now we've got a pretty pretty darn good replacement. I'm uh, not ashamed at all. Um, now. That beer, it's the as a um, as the head brewer for McCallum. It's the second year that I'm involved in the brewing of that beer. Um, every year, it's a little bit different. It's a sort of a different monster every time. But not that we change the recipe all that much. Is that it's there's always slight variations. Maybe the, the different hot, different malts that year or the malt is not, not going to have exactly the same characteristics. Um, sometimes we tweak it a little bit. Um, we don't necessarily, depending on our system is working, we might get a little bit more evaporation, a little bit less. The, the, and that beer is also aged on oak. So sometimes that will impart slightly different characteristics. And it's been sort of a new beer every time that we brewed it without being, uh, going outside of its box. As you were discussing and uh, describing earlier, we're keeping the spirit of that beer very much through to its, uh, through its own thing, but there's always a little bit of variation and, uh, it's been brewed since 2001, I believe. So it's uh, it's also quite a bit of a legacy to live to because you're always expecting to, you know, it has to be because we, without going into too much of a tangent here, um, that beer is only brewed. We, we we make one batch every year. Really? So it's that one batch that goes into all those bottles, the pegs that we have, and it's 
it's basically a hit or miss. Like if, if beer is not good, well, we, that's the one we brewed, so we can't have that. <laughs> and hasn't happened since I was there. So <laughs> no, no. Um, Your scientific mind will keep it safe. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> and some sort of passion education too. If I need, if I, if I need to sleep under the fermenter to make sure that it, it's treated properly, <laughs> trust me, I will. Um, and yeah, and uh, <laughs> it was kind of interesting. Uh, I'll now take that. For my uh, on on my shoulders a little bit, but my my uh, my boss David said last year it was one of the best ones he he had made at this point, and this year he said this one is even better than the one last from last year. So <laughs> pretty happy about it. Very cool. Um, I'm very excited to get my case. Yeah. No, yeah, no, you're not going to be disappointed. The one that's coming out now, um, basically, what we have for this year is a beer that's very uh, obviously very uh, roasted, very uh, malt forward. Obviously, this is what you expect from Russian Bill Scout. Has also a very pronounced black licorice taste, so it's very, very licorice. It's just it is smooth and dark and roasted, and just all the good crazy, all the crazy goodness that you would expect from that kind of beer. So I'm really proud of it. I'm really happy about it, and uh, I love it. <laughs> That's why I kind of wanted to have that beer tonight, but eh, it happened. I also, I also really enjoyed. Uh, you guys were doing it. I'm not sure if you're still doing it though. You had a barrel age series coming out in much bigger bottles, the 750 ml bottles. There was a Scotch ale. There was a few other ones that came around. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think we did it this year, but it's something that we we will be working on in the future again. Um, especially that it's something that um, kind of a it's kind of a secret, but it's kind of not a secret at the same time. We are working on setting up a distillery. So in the future, where we were talking about maybe of having beers that we will age in our own uh, whiskey barrels and from the distillery that we'll, we will have done. So, yeah. Very cool. Very <laughs> Kind cool. of the cool stuff that we're going to do. We're really much looking into, and it's something that as an industry we've had to do um, because there's there's a few ways that you can do is either you always release the new product and you're always pulling out new beers in the, on the market, or you can diversify your production and be making uh, beers, ciders, uh, strong alcohol, and all kinds of stuff. And that's more the, the route that we took as a way of being a more of a um, overall, we brew pretty much everything that we want or we can brew. So that's sort of why, that, that's the kind of spirit that we, we're under now. It's uh, uh, lots and lots of, um, uh, I would say, adventure going on there. <laughs> we always have more things to figure out and new, new things to work on and new toys to play with. So, yeah. Very interesting. Shitty question, but I got to ask it. The the diacetyl. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> you have, oh, you have, to, you ask have to ask it. I'm sorry. Uh, for people that don't know what that is, it is a uh, is it something in the yeast that tastes like butter. Am I? Am I? Do okay. I have that understood uh, properly? Yeah, yeah. You have. Um, so essentially, um, all yeast produce diacetyl. It's part of their. Um, of the yeast is a form of mushroom uh, that will digest sugars and turn it into alcohol. So part of that process, part of that biochemical pathway, in somewhere about halfway in the middle, it will make diacetyl. Um, and that will build up in the beer. And at the end of the fermentation, when the beer, the, the yeast doesn't have sugar to eat up, it's going to chew out that diacetyl. Now, the challenge that may cause the yeast and why it's part of our signature in a lot of the ales that we do and um, in, in all, almost all the yields that we do, except on the Indian IPA. If you find ISO in there, I ch- I'll challenge you because <laughs> I see the lab results and I know there aren't any. Um, now, <laughs> jokes aside, um, the, the diacetyl essentially gets uh, digested or reabsorbed by the yeast at the end of the fermentation. 
if it's uh, not in not if it's in not too much of a high concentration. Now we have a yeast that's very very expressive, so it tends to produce a lot, and it takes a long while before it chews itself it chews it all, all back out. And sometimes the fermentation will stop and the yeast will percolate out, so fall outside of the beer essentially and not uh, not digest it out uh, anymore. So it's always a little bit of a uh, of a trial and error and uh, a lot of, co- of control that has to be applied to the process to try and minimize it. But it's also part of our signature. We're very proud of having a, a yeast that's that expressive. Because it'd be easy to make a beer and not have something like that. But again, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have the kind of uh, signature that we have. And for instance, you were talking about a bit earlier how the uh, the Saint Hombos Ale is, which has been our staple for thirty years. Um, it's a hoppy beer. It's a, it's actually almost as hoppy as our IPA, but because it's not dry hop and because there, there's a bit more of the acid left in that beer, it will round off the taste and it doesn't taste as bitter as it really is. With an average, it rounds off around 40 IBUs. So it's not, well, our beer is 55, but it's 35 to 40. So it's for the same, for the paleo. So it's pretty high for, for just a blonde ale, but it's what gives it its taste and it's what gives it its more well-rounded flavor. It kind of just mellows everything down. And it can really, really enhance the flavor if you don't have too much in it. Now, I agree sometimes, and that's part of the uh, the magic of this thing, is sometimes the, the yeast will do its thing, and then all of a sudden you have to deal with a beer that's a lot higher in diacetyl, so what do we do with that? Um, so then we have some tricks that we can employ, either raise the temperature of the fermentation, let it run for a little bit longer, um, blend it out, work this scenario, we can mix two batches together to try and get it down a little bit. But most of the time, it comes out as we want it to be. The challenge is not having to play around afterwards. It's to have to, is to have to make it right the first time around. And I mean, that's what it is. And our yeast, being what it, the monster that it is, we kind of have to work with it. And it's our, it's our baby. It's what makes our beers the, the taste that we do. So, because it's something that I've been saying for the last six years of my life, since I started working as a brewer, is the brewers, they don't make the beer. The, the, we make sweet cereal juice. And that's what we do. Then, then the yeast will make the beer and it will make the beer that it wants to make. So whatever it likes, it's going to do it. And then you have to either you, you, you live with the consequences. You don't like the product you put there and you don't, you don't have faith in it or you roll with it. You take what the yeast gives you and you're proud of it. And that's more of our, that's more my, our mentality as a brewer. Very cool. That's, 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 that's true too. And do you think that, um, McCoslin had to, cause there was a lot of flack a few years ago about the, 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 the diacetyl it has, has your relationship to it changed since then in the brewery and, and like that, were they more aware of it or were they always aware of it? And they're always, always aware of it. it was, it's always been part of the, uh, I would say, and I don't want to, I don't want to blame anyone for this, but for a while it was, it was kind of the hip, uh, term that was going around because everybody was learning about it. So they all knew what it was. And then they started pointing or calling us out on it. But the acetyl is only a defect in the beer. If you don't want it to be there and it's there, if you're intentionally having that diacetyl in that beer, then what do you want me to say? Like we've been, we've been brewing this beer for 30 years. People have been drinking it for that long. <laughs> I don't have much more to say there. I know it has diacetyl in it. It's supposed to have it. When it doesn't have it, it doesn't taste the right way. So. Hmm. Uh, let's dance into metal because you are a metal brewer and I love that. Uh, t- tell me about your, your metal journey. Where, where, what were the first metal bands that you started listening to Philip at Exile? Oh boy. Um, as we went to discuss a little bit before my, uh, my case in metal goes more on the power metal side of things. So when I was, I think it was in high school, I had the, this guy that was listening to all different kinds of things. 
we started hanging out together and he was just like, Hey man, listen to this. And he slaps that the huge headphones on my head. <laughs> um, and I think he was playing, uh, I don't remember what it was. It was either in Pantera or, or Manowar or, and then he, then he got into the more like the, the, the more, uh, lyrically intense stuff. Uh, cause it's all the same guy that introduced me to all these bands. And then <laughs> I got, I got stuck with those. Um, and then uh, I fell with, in love with Blind Guardian, which is one of my favorite bands ever, uh, which is very uh, fantasy, uh, power metal ballads that are just really, really good. And musically, it's phenomenal. I've seen them live a few times. And they're, <laughs> they're, they're trying to put on a show there, but it's the crowd that, that sings all the songs. So what do you, what do you want them to do? <laughs> oh, I miss that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for you guys, I suppose, we really haven't been going around playing uh, playing live for a little bit, actually. No, and it, it won't be coming. It won't be coming for quite some time, too. So, <laughs> to take me to uh, when you guys are brewing, is there music playing? And if there is, uh, what is that brewer's playlist? Uh, boy. Um, when I was a brewer a few years back, the thing is, especially with uh, all the stuff that's going on in the, our side of our size of brewery, we don't really play music at the same time. Uh, mostly because we have all that system uh going on and it's going to give you different alarms different things you don't really have uh the luxury of being able to have nothing going on because we have like four batches going on at the same time so we need to have the the uh, sound cues that are giving that the system is giving us so that we can catch okay we're at this step on the process on this batch so this has to be done that way otherwise if you miss it and a lot of brewers that, that, I, that I know will tell you, it's like, if you, you hear the system doing something, you'll know which valve just opened because of the sound that it makes. If you don't catch that, then something, you're not going to know where you are. You're going to lose your, your, um, your bearings a little bit. But then again, <laughs> um, what I used to be, uh, when I was working for, as a brewer for Boreal, especially on the night shift where you're alone in the brewery and you're just like, hey, you know what? I'm going to crank it out. <laughs> There's no one here anyways, and I'm the only guy that's working, so. Uh, I, we had that sound system in the uh, in the uh, brewer's office, and I uh, that was a good time for the 14 minutes uh, power vibe from the, from the Blind Garden. Like, and then there was silence and those uh, crazy long songs that you're just like, you know what? I have 20 minutes before I need to do that next thing. Let's put on the metal and I'll just relax for a bit. I say that, but that's not really so not true for most brewers. <laughs> like, if you if you manage to sit five minutes, you're good. Like, usually, you're just going to be up on your feet and run around doing something else while you're other than the Very cool, very very cool. How about uh, a potential having visited and being at the Terrace? Uh, has there ever been live music that has been happened at the Terrace? Have there ever been a show out there? Uh, we usually not at the terrace. Not that I know of. Usually, it's um, it's mostly uh, music that's pre-recorded that's going to play on the out on the terrace. But we do have live um, music on uh, at DNX. But it's mostly uh, DJs that will come in and spin some records and get some mixes going on. And uh, um, and uh, yeah, that's mostly what's been going on there. But I mean. It has the setting for it, so I wouldn't be. Uh, it would be a fantastic venue, not gonna lie. So it's something that we could probably definitely look into in the future. And what? I'll I'll drop the word to the, uh, the the guy that manages the us and see what he says about it. I think I think it would be fun. You know, a circle yeah. pit in Lenox might be a little small, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the terrace could work. 
it's not like we had we didn't have a, a football field right on the side so yeah <laughs> <laughs> and how about doing collaborations is that something that happens at a brewery that big i know a lot of small brewers they tend to collaborate together how about when you are at a level at as big as mccausland yeah um i know we really haven't uh we've been talking with different people to see what we could do and how it would work out um uh, the problem is when we are the size that we have we are it can be really difficult because our production schedule is really packed uh because we have that many i think i think 27 and 29 different beers that we brew wow. and so whenever we and we don't have the luxury of having a smaller system to brew on i mean that that was not true until a few years ago uh because now we have the uh the group of atlantics that we can actually brew different things and have a little bit more of a, a creative outlet if we want to um but even that there's a lot of stuff going on on that level and because because of covid because of all the stuff that's been going on to this year i know we had a few projects going on and things that we wanted to do that we had to put on hold because we don't know where the market's going we don't know exactly what's going to happen everything is sort of up in the air right now um but as a brewer as a bigger brewer it's pretty difficult to really uh sit down and say okay we're going to brew a collaboration with this guy because all of a sudden then we, i can't make anything that's smaller than uh 12,000 meters so <laughs> it's taking a big risk <laughs> or, or at least or at least 60 or at least 6,000 meters so it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of volume it's a lot of doors <laughs> um but what i meant to say is it's it can be difficult for us to squeeze that in get some good fun with other brewers and just get people in and brew something then it becomes a question of okay, are we like we're doing it at your place are we doing it at our place how do we squeeze that in and who, who have a schedule where are we doing that so it's just it's something that as a bigger brewer we don't have as much of a luxury to be able to do and some of the smaller guys because like i wish i could just turn my my production schedule around and squeeze something in there and be like hey you know what today we're brewing a sale that's what we're doing unfortunately we have uh we have a big market that's expecting certain products and that we end up producing a lot based on what our inventories are like and so in our forecast and then we have to match that number because if then if we get orders and we don't have the beer then people are not going to buy from us again so it's <laughs> a bit of a uh a, a trick and uh, tricky balance to always maintain and make sure that you're in the right range for all the stuff that you need to do so yeah it's a, it's a collab i wish i could um it definitely will happen in the future it's just a question of figuring out how let's wrap this up with a classic wrap-up question uh fit about exam there probably never happens to you because you're very in control you always know what's up. It probably didn't happen to you after <laughs> after after those three eight percent double IPAs all those years ago. But it happens to everyone every once in a while. What is your hangover cure? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> um, see, a lot of people will say, "Oh, they, they have to eat a platin after they they had too uh, too one too many of that the night before." I'm more on the the lighter food kind of deal. I like to have my coffee and. A, a couple of foods with a banana and a pear and the very the, the lighter stuff that's gonna my stomach's gonna take well and mostly mostly most importantly is dehydration so often enough you finish the coffee you move on to the gatorade or the just a uh, carbonated water and that's usually what sets me back up <laughs> awesome uh, i mean prevention is, is mother of all virtue but it's gonna happen one day that you're just gonna <laughs> slip and, oh and we, we do some pretty darn decent beer so sometimes 
<laughs> Sometimes it's dangerous, just like this one. This What's is a, out of curiosity. I suffer in silence, as everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have two young children that don't let me rest, so uh, so uh, I wake up and and do what I have to do and suffer in silence <laughs> most of the time. Um, thank you so much, uh, Philip Alexander, taking the time to have a chat with me, uh, sharing Explosion, the double New England IPA, and uh, it was a true pleasure. And everyone, please go and check out and. Make sure you buy that Russian Imperial Stout. I, I can say that for sure. I'm going to be drinking a bunch of those and, and sharing those, and they're perfect gifts. And I, oh yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's usually what I do. It's my Christmas gift for all my family here. So, <laughs> cheers, Philip Exon. Cheers. cheers. Have a good one, man. Hey, thank you all so so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. I would probably not be here if it wasn't for McCausland Brewing. So reaching out to them and asking them to be on the podcast was something that was very important to me. They are basically the foundation of my craft beer house. And I'm very, very stoked to have had the chance to pick Philip Edigzown's brain for a bit. I have subsequently tasted that Russian Imperial Stout, and it is absolutely delicious. And uh, if you can get some, you should absolutely do that because you will enjoy it. I hope you guys have a great, great weekend. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should go and subscribe to it on the podcast platform of your choice. But not only that, you should absolutely rate it and write a written review for it, because if you do that, more people like you will be able to discover the podcast. Vox and Hops is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. I will be back next week with two episodes, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.